Hello, and welcome to episode 72 of Two Geeks, Two Beers, with me, Morgan, and I think I need a friend to stand here by my side. It's Tom. Hello. Uh, this podcast, as loyal listeners will know, can span the entire width and breadth of geekdom from TV shows to video games to all manner of cult sensations, which is why we're doing our third James Bond episode in five years and <laughs> our second in the past four months. Yes, I'm I'm strapping on my Walther PPK and heading back into the field to correct a terrible wrong. No, you'll be pleased to hear not that my friend has been fed to a shark by a vicious drug lord. Instead, I'm on a mission to rehabilitate the reputation of the 16th James Bond film, 1989's License to Kill. Now, Tom, what is your relationship with Timothy Dalton's second and sadly last outing as 007? Because I know you actually rewatched the film ahead of this, which is more prep than you do for some of your own episodes. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes so, I don't even bother watching anything. So uh, what did you make of this? Well, the, no, the first time, um, I, only, I only ever watched this film once before, and to be honest, I couldn't remember a thing about it. But what it was, was that I, about 10 years ago, I did like a James Bond marathon type thing. Well, I watched like, is when I had loads of time on my hands and I just watched like one James Bond film a day for a while. And I think because I'd had to slog through all the Roger Moores by the time they'd all finished, I, I think I was, I, do you know what? I might not have even watched, I might not have even bothered to watch Timothy Dalton at that point. I don't know. I, all I remember is I remember nothing. And um, when I watched this back, I had nothing but enjoyment. So I'm like, well, I either didn't pay attention the first time at all mm. or I just didn't watch it. Um, but... Timothy Dalton for me has always been unfairly it seems a James Bond that I think of and go eh and it just doesn't really do anything for me um and while he's still not my favorite Bond I think he deserves a lot more credit than he gets and I think that's a lot largely down to the fact that he only did two films um maybe it was in the era where the films themselves um, weren't like they are obviously what they are now but um, I think people just didn't know what they wanted at the time but I'm sure we'll get on to that well I think I agree I think this film is sorely underrated in particular um, even now when it's become slightly more fashionable to come out as a Timothy Dalton fan because uh, I think it's the first modern Bond film it's the first one where the style of it and the pacing of it still mostly hold up now even though it's 30 years on and I think it was ahead of its time and the world wasn't ready for license to kill I would say Timothy Dalton walked so that Daniel Craig could run um but when I watch now Dalton's stunning portrayal of James Bond 007 the question I ask myself is how many times can one man leave me breathless how many times can one man leave you breathless 
when you get on his bad side, your number is up. License to kill. Some uh, some marvelous shots in that trailer. Um, footage from the film, obviously, but also some uh, custom, specially <laughs> shot moments of a smoldering Timothy Dalton. Uh, we love to see it. So, two years prior, uh, Dalton's first appearance as Bond in The Living Daylights had set things in motion. But it was a fairly traditional Bond adventure with a gadget-laden car, quips, and colourful villains, but with a slightly harder edge that t dolts brought to proceedings. <laughs> but, but come 1989, and Bond producers were going all in on this idea of a darker, more dangerous 007. And I don't know if you picked up on this, Tom, when you watched the film, but from the opening gun barrel onwards, it is clear that they mean business. <laughs> Like, no messing, no messing. So Licence to Kill was the first film in the Bond series to not use the title of an Ian Fleming novel or short story. It was originally titled, do you know this? No. Licence Revoked. Um, Mm. Yeah. Uh, Teaser artwork was produced with this title, featuring taglines like dismissed, disgraced, dishonoured, deadly. And... (laughs) And promotional materials promised a plot torn straight from the headlines of today's newspapers. Uh, Although its plot line is largely original, it does contain elements of the Ian Fleming novel Live and Let Die and the short story The Hildebrand Rarity. Uh, The character Sanchez is an original villain, although the actor Robert Darby read Casino Royale to prepare to play the role and was inspired by Ian Fleming's descriptions of that book's antagonist, Le Chief. Uh, there are also similarities to uh, the plot of Ian Fleming's final Bond novel, The Man with the Golden Gun, in which an undercover Bond destroys a villain's organisation from within. Though screenwriter and producer Michael G. Wilson said he was actually inspired by Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which was later remade as A Fistful of Dollars, uh, a film in which a samurai brings a villain down simply by sowing seeds of distrust. Uh, the film was originally going to be set in China, with the original plot pitting Bond against a drug lord in the Golden Triangle of Thailand, uh, Laos and Myanmar. Uh, But it was eventually decided to shoot the film predominantly in Mexico. Uh, It was the first Bond film to be shot entirely outside the United Kingdom. Uh, Apparently, Timothy Dalton got homesick while filming in Mexico (laughs) and said that he he missed a really good pint of bitter. (laughs) Uh, This is very not Bond. What a lad, what a lad. Uh, So in the film... uh, James Bond is on his way to serve as best man at Felix Leiter's wedding when he, Felix, and their pal Sharky are intercepted by DEA agents who warn them that the notorious drug lord Franz Sanchez has emerged from hiding and that this may be their one shot at capturing him. Now, I've always thought that James Bond would be a pretty terrible best man um, yeah. and, and pretty much a terrible mm-hmm. friend, full stop, because he 100% would try it on with your fiance. 
Well, well, the fiance, who I have to say, uh, was she in the previous one? Because um, Felix was punching massively in this film. Um, and she just seemed to really fancy James to the point where she was like snogging him at any moment she could find. And then <laughs> so, Felix and everyone was just fine with it. Just, I, you know. I, I, put, I said, uh, Bella, Felix's bride to be, does have an odd habit of kissing Bond on the lips yeah, repeatedly. On the lips. Yeah. And I love how. <laughs> Why? Why on the lips? <laughs> but I love how mid getting to the wedding. Um, they leave to, to sort this out and then they obviously just because they're so cool they end up parachuting back and everything's fine but she's not in any way annoyed everyone's fine about it and like, oh there they are everything's great I mean you nearly ruined the day and we spent so much money on this but alright and then Felix goes and just he's, he's working still at the reception he's still at his desk doing stuff on the computer he's like the worst husband ever and he's already punching um, yeah. what the hell is going on Sanchez is in the Bahamas have you cleared it with Nassau? We've got the green light. Let's go! Hey, Felix, Felix! Haven't you forgotten something? Oh, uh, James, explain to Della, will you? No way. I'm coming with you. Okay, but strictly as an observer. So D- David David Hedison played Felix Leiter. Uh, he had previously played Leiter opposite Roger Moore in Live and Let Die. Um, and for a while was the only actor to have played Leiter twice until... Jeffrey Wright appeared in both Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Ah, so um, we hadn't had Felix since the mid seventies, and that was it. Well, well, no. So David Hedison had last played the character uh, in nineteen seventy three in Live and Let Die. Yeah. There had then been a break of like twelve years with no appearances from Felix in the Bond movies. Uh, John Terry then played the part, not the footballer, uh, played the part oh, in Jack the Living Dead. In, in Lost, amazing. Jack, oh. Christian Christian Shepherd from Lost played the role in the Living Daylights. Oh. And then they brought him back again. Well, well, he, John Terry, great and lost, doesn't have a huge amount of chemistry with Timothy Dalton, it has to be said. Um, yeah. And so they, they then brought back Felix in this one, but they brought back David Hedison, who last played the role in, in 1973, which means Felix ages like three decades between movies. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, which Can I just briefly say about the James Bond thing? Because I don't know if I brought this up in the previous one. But like, what I like in this film is that they, they obviously do reference plots from previous Bond films. They, they reference his marriage in, on the Majesty's Secret Service. So, obviously, are we? Did they did they treat James Bond in the same way that like the Simpsons do time? Do you know what I mean? Uh, like uh, it's obviously, obviously, it's the same Bond, but time's going on. But don't worry about it. Is it that kind of thing? That's the way I look at it. I look at it as each Bond. It's the same man. It's always yeah. the same. It's, it's always the same guy. Always the same guy. <laughs> but maybe with each new actor there's a kind of soft reboot in this i always think of it as uh timothy dalton had experiences similar to those of the sean connor and roger moore bonds but they took place in the 80s and similarly similarly pierce brosnan had he he experienced all those past adventures but maybe versions of those adventures that took place slightly closer to the 90s so that the timeline kind of makes sense but you're right this 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 film features direct references back to previous bond films especially on a majesty's secret service which makes a nonsense of the already nonsensical (laughs) idea that james bond is a code name that's just something that someone came up with and they thought was they thought was a cool idea and now people say it thinking they're cool and it's not cool it doesn't make sense (laughs) but nowadays they won't get away with doing the what you just came up with as an explanation they would have to have an explanation so they probably will either reboot it again entirely when daniel craig leaves or they will say it's a code name they don't they won't don't never they never the 
Don't go they to code name. Never. The they shouldn't. Name. But I wouldn't be surprised because they want to come up with an excuse and a reason because they can't just be wishy washy about it. So they'll just go, eh, okay, um, yeah, you're James Bond now, I guess. Don't don't go the code name route. Don't let those people win. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, David Hedison, though he's he is no longer uh, the only uh, two time Felix Leiter, and in fact. Uh, his record will be surpassed when Jeffrey Wright appears in No Time to Die. Uh, Hedison remains the only actor to play Felix opposite two different Bonds. Uh, apparently, director John Glenn was reluctant to cast Hedison because of his advancing years and the stunts that the role demanded. How now, How old do you think he was in this movie? Oh, Felix. Um, he looked, uh, well, he looked like he was in his 50s. 61. He's pretty good. Oh, looking, pretty, yeah. looking pretty good on it. Yeah, um, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good um his his uh his bride Della was played by Priscilla Barnes who was best is she known like for 20, her... 23 years old uh it's Hollywood uh she was best known for her role in the sitcom Three's Company as, as you alluded to earlier Bond and Felix do succeed in capturing Sanchez and make it to the church on time <laughs> cue the theme song hey baby thought you were the one who tried to run away musician who played on Monty Norman's original 007 theme, Vic Flick, which it turns out is his real name. I assume that was some cool sounding pseudonym, but he's actually yeah. called Victor Flick. Uh, he composed a theme for License to Kill along with Eric Clapton, uh, but wow. the producers turned it down and it's never been released. Uh, there was apparently a video of the recording and Vic Flick has said, that video is now the holy grail of Bond aficionados and he who finds it will see the golden light. Uh, flick joked, no one knows where the video is. <laughs> no, wait, 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 I did that wrong. I put the emphasis in the wrong place. <laughs> right, I'll do, I'll, do, I'll do that again. All right. That video is now the holy grail of Bond aficionados, and he who finds it will see the golden light, Flick joked. No one knows where the video is. So instead, uh, Gladys Knight's song and performance was chosen. And the song was based on the horn line from Goldfinger. You know, the... And may I say, I'm glad that they went with that because, in my opinion, it's, I'd say, top five, my all-time favourite Bond film themes. You bloody love it. Bloody love it. Because you know what? I didn't really... I wasn't really aware of it, like the film. I wasn't really aware of the the song for ages. And it was only a few years ago that I properly heard it. And I was like, this is just... It's this really great, like, late 80s power ballad fair. Mm. Nothing else quite like it, really, because it's it's obviously a film song, it was, uh, and it didn't really fit with probably what else was going on musically at the time. <laughs> but I just thought it was just yeah, just really great, great performance, great lyrics, great. <laughs> Thanks, 
so, funnily enough, the song gave Knight her first British top 10 hit since 1977. Good. Imagine that being in the charts now. Uh, it peaked at number <laughs> six, post Gladys. Uh, Sanchez escapes in the film uh, with the help of corrupt DEA agent Ed Killifer, uh, who is played by Everett McGill, um, best known for playing another Ed, Big Ed Hurley in Twin Peaks and the uh, 2017 revival for which he came out of retirement. But playing uh, Sanchez himself is, as I said earlier, Robert Darby, who is one of those faces Brilliant. that was everywhere in the 80s yeah. and early 90s. 936 years. Even one of your famous million dollar bribes can't get you out of this one. Two. What? Two million US. A standing offer for anyone who springs me. Uh, so he played opera singing heavy Jake Fratelli in The Goonies. In terrifying. terrifying in that film. Look, mister, I need a ride. My friends and I just had a run in with these really disgusting people. You might have heard of them, the Fratellis. Well, we found their hideout. And could you please, please take me to the sheriff station? I can describe all three of them. Uh, he played one of the special agent Johnsons in Die Hard. Yeah. We will we will come back to the other one. I'm Dwayne Robinson, LAPD. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Hey, he also appeared in Predator 2 in 1990 and Showgirls in 1995. And launched a professional singing career in 2011 what? and Amazing. his first and his first album Darby Sings Sinatra on the Road to Romance <laughs> hit number 6 on the Billboard Jazz Charts now Amazing I know sometimes we go in on this sort of thing Well he could sing up. opera he he, he, he could what? really sing this is it. You know, I was prepared to scoff and go, oh, is this actor's vanity project? But uh to quote Jack Black in High Fidelity, he's uh <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really fucking good. <laughs> I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Got that string around my finger What a world, what a life I'm in love But as amazing as it is, who, who's that for? Just diehard Davy fans. Diehard Davi fans and fans of Davi and Diehard. Um, <laughs> there you go, from Sanchez to Sinatra. Uh, Davi also apparently he helped with the casting in uh, Invices to Kill of Sanchez's mistress, Lupe Lamora, uh, by playing Bond in the audition. Uh, mm. par- apparently he was quite good. So a man of many talents. Uh, was this, this is like Darby's peak though, wasn't it? Um... Playing a Bond film. I didn't realise he, again, I, I must just not have watched this film because if I'd watched this at the time, I would have gone, oh my God, it's him, it's Johnson. Um, it was just the reaction I had this time. Um, so amazing. I mean, he's a proper good villain as well. I, the whole way through the film, I just kind of went, you know, it's a good villain when I'm kind of like, if I was Bond, I'd just sort of work with him. I'd just team up with him. He's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- he, he liked the idea of the villain being the kind of dark mirror to Bond. And he is yeah. Sanchez. He's, he's despicable, but he is very charismatic at the same he's time. He's like Hank Scorpio, isn't he? You just sort of, <laughs> you want to sort of like, ah, quite like you. Really wanna, yeah, yeah he's, like, he's like Hank Scorpio. Definitely not the other way around. Um, <laughs> that's, the way that, that's the way that worked. Ingenious, isn't it, Mr. Bond? Scorpio, you're totally mad. <laughs> I wouldn't point fingers, you jerk. Sure, do you expect me to talk? 
I don't expect anything from you except to die and be a very cheap funeral. You're gonna die now. Sanchez's crew, uh, led by henchman Dario, played by a 21-year-old actor called Benicio del Toro. I'm not really sure what happened to him. Um, <laughs> they ambush Lighter and his wife Della. Della is killed while Lighter is fed to a shark. Where's my wife? Don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon. I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. <laughs> Sorry, old buddy, but two mil is a hell of a chunk of dough. Killing me won't stop anything, Sanchez. There are worse things than dying over there. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. <laughs> I was very um, surprised because, yeah, the Daniel Craig films could be quite dark, but there were moments in this film, like there, with the shark, that was actually really, like, shocking for a Bond film. Like, there were moments where the violence in it was actually especially for the 80s, it was like, oh, Jesus. Quite unsettling. And, and Lighter uh, falling victim to a shark attack is taken directly from Ian Fleming's novel, Live and Let Die. And <laughs> even more unsettling, the novelization of License to Kill by the author John Gardner tries to fit the film's events into the continuity of the novels, suggesting Lighter has been fed to sharks twice. <laughs> Come on. Guy can't catch a break. Um, but even with just one shark mauling, uh, License to Kill was, as, as you uh, hinted at, it was the most violent Bond film to date. Uh, the BBFC demanded the cut of 36 seconds of film, uh, though the 2006 Ultimate Edition DVD uh, marked the first release of the film without cuts, restoring a shot of Felix's severed leg floating in the water. <laughs> Yay? <laughs> like, well, Good, like, finally. I, yeah, exactly. Like, I, like I'm a big, big Bond fan, and I, I like the idea of seeing a film kind of uncut as it was intended. But who's really campaigning to see Felix's severed leg? I won't rest. I'll sign a petition. <laughs> Get me the severed leg of Felix Leiter. Uh, License to Kill also features a light sprinkling of bad language. Uh, there's a scene where Bond has Sanchez in his sniper sights and says, "Watch the birdie, you bastard!" Uh, <laughs> and you'll notice that the angrier Timothy Dalton gets, the more Welsh he becomes. Uh, there's another, <laughs> another line later on where he says things were about to get nasty you were just in time things were about to turn nasty it remains the only Bond movie to be rated uh, 15 by the BBFC and a PG-13 rating in the US so the Phoenix survives the shark attack but he is badly injured and Bond embarks on a mission of vengeance in some ways as we touched upon making License to Kill an unofficial sequel to On Her Majesty's Secret Service uh, the film features references to Bond's short-lived marriage to Tracy and 007 then seeks revenge when his friend's own wedding to Bliss is cut similarly short. Uh, attempting to put a stop to Bond is Lighter's DEA colleague Hawkins, played by the magnificently monikered Grand L. Bush. Uh, <laughs> he is an underrated actor, I think, who offers up, again, some very memorable line deliveries in this film. There's a moment where Bond says to him, 
oh, what, you're going to do nothing? Just going to forget about it? And he goes, no, I'm not going to forget about it. Really? <laughs> you're just going to forget all about it? No, I'm not going to forget about it. But he wasn't in it long enough. He was only in it at the beginning and then never came back. He should have been should in it more. There's another great line delivery where Bond is again pushing back on him and he says, let it go, Commander. Just really, really intense at all times, Hawkins. Uh, so you had both Johnsons in the same scene again. You did, because Grand, year Grand, after Die Hard. Grand L. Bush, uh, he, he later appeared in A Lethal Weapon, uh, The Exorcist 2 and Demolition Man, played Balrog in the 1994 Street Fighter movie, and yes, he played the other Agent Johnson in Die Hard opposite Robert Darby and apparently improvised the line, I was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> that's, that's so good. That's pure 100% Bush right there. Um, <laughs> Black fucking Saigon! Facelift! I was in junior high, dickhead. And apparently Bush and Darby would appear together again in 1993's Maniac Cop 3, Badge of Silence. Uh, can't, say I've, can't say I've seen that one. Anyway. Now, if if Bush was a really good singer, I would pay a lot of money for them to come out as a duo and do like a, a double act. Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Silky smooth. Uh, anyway, when Bond catches up with Killifer and feeds him to the same shark that maimed Lighter, M tries to warn Bond off pursuing this unauthorised vendetta. You were supposed to be in Istanbul last night. I'm afraid this unfortunate Lighter business has uh, clouded your judgement. You have a job to do. I expect you're on a plane this afternoon. I haven't finished here, sir. Leave it to the Americans. It's their mess. Let them clear it up. Sir, they're not going to do anything. I owe it to Lighter. He's put his life on the line for me many times. Oh, spare me this sentimental rubbish. He knew the risks. And his wife? This private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You have an assignment. And I expect you to carry it out objectively and professionally. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. And I require you to hand over your weapon. Now. I need hardly remind you that you're still bound by the Official Secrets Act. And I guess it's uh, a farewell to arms. Don't get too many people. This is what I like about this film as well: is that it isn't like a, just a generic mission. He's um he's actually gone off. He's gone rogue. He doesn't want to do the mission. I like that M mentions he's got a mission to do. He's like, I'll fuck that mission. I don't care. I want to do this. I, I I do like that in this film. Although now with the Daniel Craig films, it feels like every they do it too much now. Yeah. Every 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 single Daniel Craig film, apart yeah. from Casino Royale, is about some like inner turmoil for Bond. And, yeah, and I know. Everything everything has to be related to his own personal life to the extent that. Blofeld now turns out to be his adopted yeah, brother. Like, like I would love, I would love it now if Daniel Craig just walked into an <laughs> office, got given <laughs> yeah, a copy yeah. by M, and he went, "Oh right, I'm going on a mission. Where am I going? Florida? Yes, do your job." Yeah, he never does his job anymore. He never does his job anymore. Do your job. Be, yeah, that would be well up for that because it was the same with Sherlock. Sherlock was great when he was just solving crimes, mm. and then as each series got on, just got bogged down in their private lives and their and their. Yeah, as you say, inner turmoil and all this kind of stuff. I was like, no, I want the boys solving missions. I don't care. Get on with it. 
you don't want the private life of Sherlock Holmes, although that is a very good film. Um, <laughs> but 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 go back to that scene where you know M kind of takes Bond to task and Bond. Uh, threatens to quit and then he takes away his license to kill i've always found it slightly odd that bond having his license to kill revoked here is played up as a major plot point because the idea is well from now on you can no longer just kill whoever the hell you like and it's like surely that was never the case that he could just surely yeah. he could only ever he could only ever kill under direct orders like they would give him an assignment and he would go and kill <laughs> yeah. someone it wasn't just like he was licensed to kill anyone he liked at any time it's like your license to kill is revoked what are you going to do now it's like he could he can't just go and kill sanchez anyway um, I think maybe MI6 needs to review the small print on that double O contract <laughs> because I looked into this and in Ian Fleming's books, it's even stranger. So the idea is that a double O agent is awarded, which is a really strange use of the word, awarded uh, the double O status after they've had to kill two M enemy combatants in the line of duty. So you murder two people and then as a reward, you get a license to murder more people without fear of prosecution. It's a very odd. Is scene. that what is that what the beginning of Casino Royale alludes to as well? Yeah, he kills he kills two people, and they go, "Well, you killed two people. You now have a license to kill as many as you like." So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, surely it's within reason. Surely it's like it's got to be part of the mission. It can't just be like <laughs> on the on the way to the mission, someone cuts you up on the on the road and just shoot him in the head. It's like, well, right, what license like, to kill. I had I had to kill him, boss. I had to kill him. And they're like, fair enough, make him a double O. I don't feel like that's how they should be dishing out these assignments. Yeah. Um, anyway. So Bond becomes a rogue agent, although he later receives unauthorised assistance from Q, played by Desmond Llewellyn, who, in his largest role in any 007 movie, takes vacation time to provide Bond with gadgets. Really, 007? Q, what the hell are you doing here? I might have killed you. Well, I'm on leave. Thought I'd pop around and see how you're getting on. You all right? Yes, of course I'm all right. How'd you find me? Well, Moneypenny, of course. She worried sick about you. This is no place for you, Q. Go home. Oh, don't be an idiot, 007. Uh, Bond is also assisted by Felix's friend Sharky, played by Frank McRae. Now, McRae was a, a former NFL star who played six games for the Chicago Bears in 1967. Uh, and Licensed to Kill is a rare departure from his standard character type of shouty police chief. Uh, <laughs> yeah. a, 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 a part he originated in 1982's uh, 48 Hours and later parodied in both 1993's <laughs> National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1 and 1993's Last Action Hero. So yeah. he, found a, he found a very specific niche in 1993, spoofing a character from a film he made 11 years earlier. Now I saw the report on that little piece of shit. If he spent one legal day on his life, it'll be a record. Now this is it for you. Suspension, review board, you've had it. I'm going to tell you something about this man. He's got more brains than you ever know. He's got more guts than any partner I ever had. But just because you say it with conviction, it don't mean shit to me. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and may I say, both uh, Sharky was one of the best sort of side helping characters of all time, and they shouldn't have killed him off. And may also say that this is Q's best film by Miles. Ag agreed. Q gets uh, more to do in this movie, and uh, I'm all for it. Love a bit of Llewellyn. <laughs> After Sharky is killed, uh, unjustly, uh, Bond meets and teams up with ex-CIA officer and pilot Pam Bouvier. Uh, Carrie Lowell plays Pam. Uh, apparently the casting of Lowell raised a few eyebrows as her most recent film prior to Licence to Kill had been the oddball comedy Me and Him in 1988 about a talking penis. Uh, All right. Yeah. Not stand the test of time, literally. Yeah. Lowell apparently impressed the stunt team so much with her ability during the film's fight scenes that she was given the nickname Pambo. Look, I'm going to need your help. 
I want a complete rundown on Sanchez's operation. And I'll need a flight to Whitsmouth City, private. No one must know I've left. What do you want to go there for? I'll pay you very well. You're going after Sanchez, aren't you? Will you help me? How many men have you got? Just you and me. <laughs> Are you crazy? Sanchez has an entire army protecting him down there. Just fly me in and leave. 50,000. It's not that easy. False flight plans, payoffs at Isma City Airport. I can't do a job like that for less than 100. 60. <sighs> 90. 70. 80. 75. You pay the fuel? You get the plane. So Lowell later found fame starring in the TV show Law and Order. Uh, she took a hiatus from acting in the mid 2000s, but reprised her license to kill role in the 2012 video game 007 Legends. Uh, she oh, was also hey. married to Richard Gere uh, hey. from 2002 to 2016. So at this point in the film, Bond goes undercover, posing as an assassin for hire to get close to Sanchez and his girlfriend, Lupe Lamora. Well traveled man. You did all right at the tables tonight. I had the feeling my luck was about to change. Well, it's a wise gambler who knows when his luck has run out. Why this? In my business, you prepare for the unexpected. And what business is that? I help people with problems. Problem solver. I'm more of a problem eliminator. <laughs> 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 and now you're here on business? No, temporarily unemployed. I thought I might find work here. Well, it's very difficult to obtain a work permit in Isthmus. It's, uh, well, one has to show a special talent that people here don't have. Hmm. Well, that shouldn't be too difficult. In your barn, you got big cornies. You come here to my place without references, carrying a piece, throwing around a lot of money. But you should know something. Nobody saw you come in, so nobody has to see you go out. Senor Sanchez, I could be very useful to a man in your position. And I understand you have a reputation for awarding loyalty very well but one one thing that i know i couldn't understand in this film though was that mm. until later on no one seemed to know to realize who bond was right but he called himself james bond and no yeah. one thought to look him up or find <laughs> I, out who he was i i i'm guessing there's like no record of of james bond no official record right. of james bond i mean we'll ignore the fact that in in you only live twice when bond fakes his death for reasons that aren't especially clear he has a full write-up in like the, yeah. you know the paper saying he's yeah. he's a a, a a courageous mi6 agent who, who perished i mean, I, mean I know i know we didn't have facebook back then but i just thought it was a bit weird that like because i'm sure like towards the beginning of the film people saw him do stuff and i was like it wasn't until way later in the film like hang on he's not who he says he is we're, yeah, we're, like, these cronies weren't very weren't very bright put it that way 
we're assuming that Sanchez didn't get a good look at Bond when he captured him at the beginning of the film, and also that yeah. no one bothered, and also that no one bothered to look him up on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's what yeah, so he did because I remember remember later on thinking, hang on, didn't they meet earlier? I'm sure they met earlier, but no, Sanchez was in the in the plane. He never saw Bond. Oh, okay. uh, he, he didn't see Bond flapping like a turkey behind him. <laughs> um, so so Lupe uh, Sanchez's girlfriend in this movie is played by Talisa Soto, uh, who is perhaps best known for playing. Princess Katana, Katana, Katana. in the uh, in the 1995 uh, fantasy action film Mortal Kombat. I've, I've got that written down. I know what Mortal Kombat is. I don't know why I have to go. Uh, she's also also in its in its 1997 sequel Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Hmm. Do you guys know what I think about that? What are you doing? I've had my fill of Sanchez hospitality. He told you to stay. You're asking for big trouble. Look, there's no need for you to get involved. Just give me five minutes and screen your head off. James, please listen to me. There's guards all over the place. You'll never make it. Carrie Haruyuki Tagawa, who went on to play the villain Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat, also appears in License to Kill. Yeah, he's great as well. Really yeah, he's, he's great at everything. Again, an yeah. underrated sort of guy who was around a lot in the 80s and 90s. Uh, he needs, needs to come back. Uh, he plays Hong Kong narcotics agent Quang, uh, who delivers the great line, Well, Hong Kong narcotics, you bastard! Well, Hong Kong narcotics, you bastard! He actually shares no scenes with Soto in this film. Although they then worked together six years later. Uh, Talisa Soto, <laughs> just put this in, uh, happily married to Benjamin Bratt uh, since <laughs> 2002. And the couple have two children together. Not oh. particularly interesting, but I just had no idea that she was married to Benjamin Bratt. So I thought that was yeah. worth bringing up. So at this point in the film, Bond begins to sow seeds of discontent, causing Sanchez to become paranoid. After he's framed by Bond, Sanchez murders his henchman, Milton Crest, by exploding his head in a decompression chamber, which I think is even... Even worse Again, than the shark attack. Shocking, yeah. It yeah. was very big trouble in Little China, that sort of thing. <laughs> lot of exploding heads in the 80s. Yeah. Lot, of lot of exploding heads. You think I'm stupid? Huh? You rip me off, then use my own money to pay someone to kill me? You want it so bad. I'm fighting! <laughs> Bond discovers what Sanchez is really up to, using a special process to dissolve cocaine into petrol, meaning it can be shipped and sold easily. Uh, and he finds out also that Sanchez has employed the televangelist Professor Joe Butcher as a front. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, he uses Joe's broadcasts to secretly communicate with buyers around the world. Now, Professor Joe is played by Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Dankeschen, darling, Dankeschen. Right, yeah. so you know, you know who this guy is? Because yeah. I, I had no idea that he is basically, like, he's like the, I don't know, how would you just go, like the American Bruce Forsyth or something. Um, yeah, well, he had, like, um, he was, uh, he, had a, he had a couple of hits, including that one, Dankeschen, when he was, like, 14 or something in the 50s. And then, yeah, he just became uh, a general all-round entertainer. 
<laughs> just a chilled out entertainer. I had no yeah. idea. I just because because yeah. because he's he's great at License to Kill. Like, he's he, really good. Yeah, he, he fits yeah. the part really well uh, as this kind of slightly pervy uh, fake televangelist. Uh, but yeah, he um, Wayne Newton was not an actor. He was an American singer and entertainer. Uh, one of the best known entertainers, in fact, in Las Vegas, uh, known by the nickname Mr. Las Vegas. Uh, apparently, he got the role after sending a letter to the producers saying he'd love to make a cameo in a Bond film because he'd always wanted to be in one. And they were just like, Aww. you're Wayne Newton. Of course, of course you can have a role. And he said, danke schön. Um, <laughs> having, having said all that, though, I kind of wish it was Bruce Forsyth. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, yeah. he played a villainous character in, um, in uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, and he was really good in that. Really And good. never really did anything like that again. So it's like, oh, no. he'd, be, he'd be genuinely really good in that role. Oh. Oh, if, if only we'd had Brucey in a Bond film, that would have been. Yeah. That would have been. It would have been. A, it would have been a Brucey bonus. Yeah, it could have. Mm. It could have said, uh, "Nice to see you. To see you, nice 007. Could have been. Yeah. Could have been very special. Uh, so some of Newton's well-known songs included 1972's "Daddy, Don't You Walk So Fast," which was his biggest hit, peaking at number four on the Billboard chart. And it has to be said, he has an incredibly in-depth Wikipedia page. Uh, some would say. <laughs> some, would say some would say too detailed. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure who's spending their life updating Wayne Newton's. Uh, wiki page, but good on you because it's it's thorough. I brought you another surprise. I love surprises. Where is it? Look, this uh, really is unnecessary. Give me the keys. Oh. So Bond is eventually exposed, eventually, um, but he's first able to take down Sanchez's drug operation by destroying his lab and feeding Dario feet first into a giant shredder. Um, <laughs> again, apparently in the uncut version, you actually see Dario's legs going into the grinder because um, it's what the people want. Uh, <laughs> Sanchez escapes his burning base in a petrol tanker with Bond pursuing him first by plane and then in another tanker. A uh, little, little trivia fact for you here, Tom. I know you love your trivia mm -hmm. facts. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, as you know, Bond tilts his tanker on its side, uh, avoiding a missile that one of Sanchez's goons has, has fired in. Yeah, I thought that was uh, very fast and furious. It felt a bit, <laughs> yeah. Felt a bit far-fetched, yeah? Driving yeah, on two wheels. Well, although a rig was constructed to fake the stunt, stunt driver Remy Julien was able to pull it off for real without the aid of camera trickery. So he just did it. Oh, Remy, wow. okay. Remy, I'll take Remy, it back. Uh, we got the rig, Remy. He's like, I don't need no fucking rig. And he just <laughs> and he just went up on he just went up on two wheels like a dog. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, yeah. eventually both vehicles career off the road. You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? Bond sets the petrol-soaked Sanchez on fire with the inscribed lighter that Felix and Della gave him as a gift on their wedding day. 
M offers Bond his job back, once again endorsing his terrible behaviour and enabling his psychopathic bloodlust. <laughs> I'll be up to see you next week. We'll do some fishing. Good. I'll be out by then. M called. He tried to reach you. I think he may have a job for you. <laughs> Look, Felix, I have to go. My uh, hostess has just arrived. Take care, Jamie. You too. Bye. Is it me, or... I don't know. Is Felix high on pain meds in that scene? Because like, I know, I know, Why I know. Is he so Sanchez, happy? I, exactly. I know Sanchez is dead, but he's still missing an arm and a leg, literally. And his wife has been brutalized and murdered. He's like, James, great news. Let's go fishing. <laughs> like, why? Why? He should be like Harvey Dent, like a totally broken man. He's now a villain. He's gonna like rip rip everyone to shreds. <laughs> oh, he's just having a great time. He's looking forward to that fishing trip. Uh, <laughs> But as if getting his old job back weren't reward enough for the carnage Bond has wrought in his movie, he gets to choose between two Bond girls. He has his pick uh, between between Lupe and Pam. Yeah, obviously this is the, a general issue in all James Bond films, maybe not so much in the, in the latest ones, but definitely in the olden days, where there was like no romantic lead-up whatsoever. Um, and then suddenly, they're, like with Pam... They were, there was nothing really. And suddenly they're on the boat and he's just sort of, I assume, making love to her, just out of nowhere. And and then with Lupe as well, they didn't really have any, nothing happened. There was no like romantic scene with them or anything. But suddenly she's like in love with him and obviously in love with him. And it's like, I know he's James Bond, but I mean, because Tim, I mean, Timothy Dalton, his version of it, he's not even trying. He's not even doing like a, uh, he's not doing a Roger Moore where Roger Moore's obviously turning on the style and he's, he's you know, he's being all suave. Timothy Dalton, you feel like with him, he's actually just trying to do his job and, yeah. and the women are getting in the way. But even even though he's not trying at all, he's so good looking, they manages <laughs> to just bed them with no, no effort whatsoever. But, but it's actually it's actually an inconvenience for him. He's like, yeah. he's like, damn this beautiful face of mine. He, he, yeah. he desperately wants to just get on with the job and stop Sanchez, but he has to have sex with these women yeah. over and yeah. over again because they won't leave him alone. But I think that's an issue with Dalton in general, is that I feel like... Too he, good looking. Yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's good looking in a different sort of way than all the other Bonds because he's sort of, he's quite a harsh face, I suppose similar to Daniel Craig, where um, it just works for him. And <laughs> he's got, a, hard, he he's got a harsh face, but it works for him. You've suddenly, you said it before, how he, he obviously doesn't like doing the one-liners. Mm. Like, there was that, he obviously does the shaken, not stirred one in this one, oh, which is very good. It's the most aggressive shaken, not stirred of all time. Yeah. Shaken, not stirred. Miss Kennedy. Would you get me a medium dry vodka martini? What a Shaken, I... not stirred. And, and then later on, he only has one sort of Arnie style line. Mm. Um, and he doesn't do it very well. I'm afraid to say, Timothy, it's one of the worst deliveries of a James Bond. <laughs> which, I don't know which one you mean. Uh, what is it? Uh, I'll see if I can find it. Uh, it was when the guy gets um, killed by the, oh. the, you know, the, the machine. Yeah, he goes... Uh, looks like he came to a dead end. Ah, uh, it's not. But he, it's, but, it's not. But he says it really badly, and then he goes. You can tell he's going. Looks like he came to a dead end. Come on! I'm like, really annoyed he has to do it. <laughs> it's not. It's not a vintage quip, though, is it? In his defence. Oh God, it's Heller. Yeah, looks like he came to a dead end. It just came out of nowhere because it didn't really fit. The, that sort of quip didn't really fit. Licence to Kill. It was a no. bit silly to conclude that. But, you could. Uh, you could even back in the Living Daylights days. Dalton clearly hate even it's not even a quip but just as you say the catchphrases um yeah i think is it even is it maybe even his first his first line no no it's, it's not his first line but it's one of his first lines where he has to say you know he has to introduce himself in the classic james bond fashion and the woman says who are you and he goes bond james bond 
hates it, hates <laughs> doing it. Every other man has rehearsed that line over and over again in the mirror. Dalton didn't, doesn't even want to, doesn't even want to do it. Who are you? Bond, James Bond. Although, although he says uh, he says switch the bloody machine off very well indeed. <laughs> switch the bloody machine off. Are you alright? Switch the bloody machine off. So Timothy Dalton is just so unbearably attractive that he has to choose one of these women both of whom are for some reason besotted with this psychopath um (laughs) pam spots him kissing lupe and gets upset so bond ditches her and chases after pam who's still well up for it even though she saw him kissing another woman not 30 seconds earlier uh and that's the end of license to kill which all jokes aside i think is one of the best bond movies um Always sort of surprised, yeah. takes me by surprise how much I like it, but I think it's absolutely one of the one of the best. Um, 133 minutes of thrills, spills, and yes, kills. So I'm sure uh, you'll tell me why, mm. but I'm surprised it was or not hated, but I'm surprised it wasn't as loved at the time. Mm. Well, the uh, license you, you have led me very neatly. It's almost like you knew. You honestly didn't. We're not that organised. Uh, but you have led me onto how the film was received at the time. Um, so, and I'm very happy I get to say it. Licence to Kill attracted mostly mixed <laughs> reviews. Uh, why though? Why? Well, <laughs> why? Why though? Um, with the, really upset with the film's uh, darker, more violent tone and Dalton's portrayal of Bond dividing critics. Uh, people felt- the weird thing is, the weird thing is though, Goldeneye I felt was darker in in its tone. Like License to Kill is darker in terms of like the shocks and the and the violence, mm. but I'd say Goldeneye in general has this more sort of moody tinge to it. Mm. Whereas License to Kill has still got that eighties pomp um, <laughs> in in comparison. Yeah. So Goldeneye comes out and everyone understandably loves it. And was like, but you didn't like License to Kill. I don't know what what's the, what's the matter with you. I don't I don't get it. It's very strange. Well, do you know who did like A Licence to Kill at the time? Ebert. <laughs> exactly, Ebert. Hey, oh boy, good. Ebert loved it. He said of Dalton, uh, he makes an effective bond. Lacking Sean Connery's grace and humour and Roger Moore's suave self-mockery, but with a lean tension and toughness that is possibly more contemporary. Uh, <laughs> and Licence to Kill has been reevaluated in more recent years with some, myself included, and now I think you, Tom, you've been converted, and now considering mm. it one of the best Bond films and a precursor to the uh, Daniel Craig era. Uh, indeed, director John Glenn has said License to Kill is among my best Bond films, if not the best, although he actually would have said it's among my best Bond films, if not the best, because that's how John Glenn speaks. Um, though it performed well at the worldwide box office, uh, earning over $156 million worldwide on a budget of just $32 million, uh, it was the least financially successful James Bond film in the U.S., when accounting for inflation, with its middling performance being blamed on the higher than usual age rating. So both in the UK and US uh, didn't have that kind of broader appeal. Uh, and it faced fierce competition at the cinema at the time, uh, going up against the likes of Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade uh, and Batman. So this was an end of an era for the Bond franchise in many ways. Uh, it was the fifth and final uh, consecutive Bond film to be directed by John Glenn. Uh, besides being Timothy Dalton's last outing, it was also the last film to feature actors Robert Brown as M and Caroline Bliss as Miss Moneypenny. Uh, and the final Bond film to uh, utilise the services of screenwriter Richard Maybaum, title designer Morris Binder and producer Albert R. 
cubby broccoli. Uh, and despite, though, the mixed critical reception and the middling box office, plans got underway for the next Bond film, uh, which would have been Dalton's third, with Michael G. Wilson and writer Alphonse Ruggiero drawing up a story outline which pitted Bond against evil electronics expert Sir Henry Lee Ching, who planned to unleash a computer virus that would paralyse every military and commercial unit in the world. Though featuring a very different plot to Licence to Kill, exploring, amongst other things, the world of robotics, uh, it would have continued to push the Bond franchise down a darker path, with Bond eventually killing Sir Henry by taking a welding torch to his face. So, (laughs) you thought Licence to Kill was intense. You ain't got no idea. But legal wrangles for MGM and United Artists held up production for four years, by which time Timothy Dalton had decided it was time to step away from Bond. Now, I think it's interesting that the Pierce Brosnan films which followed which were wildly popular and successful at the time and were very much mm. credited with reviving the franchise. It's now not very fashionable to admit to liking no. those. Um, whereas the Dalton films have now experienced a bit of a, a creative resurgence. Um, yeah, it's weird. I feel like for a long time, both Dalton and Lazenbury, it was easy to sort of slag them off and think they're rubbish because they only did a, one or two films, mm. whereas everyone else did at least four. And I think over time, now that it's gone on a bit longer, you can look back and appreciate them. And I'm hoping eventually Brosnan will get the same. I think Brosnan's whole legacy was ruined by Die Another Day, to be honest. I think if Die Another Day didn't happen and he just did those first three, mm. I think he would still be, it wouldn't be uh, such a joke. But Die Another Day was so shit that people are just, just remembering that. My, my, my thing is, each Bond era, they, they sort of like, you know, they set the template and then they figure out what works really well about that particular style of Bond. But then they take it, to the next level and the next level, and then eventually go too mm. far. So uh, with, with Connery, it started quite stripped back, and then they went, do you know what people love? They love the kind of the over-the-top villains and the crazy HQs. So you had mm. You Only Live Twice with a hollowed-out volcano, which is great, but it's pretty much as absurd as those movies get. Similarly, Roger Moore started out a little more tongue-in-cheek and then got kind of... Yeah. Actually, there were kind of like two points with it, because Roger Moore did so many, where you got to Moonraker, where literally Bond in <laughs> space, and utterly absurd, and they went, let's scale it back. For, for your eyes only and then it started to get sillier again and then yeah. and then they got Dalton in and they stripped it right back and then as a reaction to that they had the more kind of popcorn blockbuster bond of, of Pierce Brosnan which gradually got more and more over the top and, and, and absurd and then you have mm. Daniel Craig who again they kind of they they they, they nailed it, I think, with Casino Royale. That film has like the perfect, yeah. the perfect tone in that it is slightly more serious and grounded, but it's still a hell of a lot of fun. And I feel like they've gone too far. They've taken the the, the kind of po-faced aspect of the Daniel Craig era too far, and the the whole personal slant of Bond that worked really well in Casino Royale um, with his yeah. his romance with Vesper. But now they've taken it too far, and as we said, every film has to be about Bond's second cousin who he yeah. once betrayed. But you wonder where it would have gone, because, like, uh, if, say, Dalton didn't have any of those legal issues and he did a third film, he may have been held in a much higher regard, yeah. say. So, and equally... So, you, you, say, you saying Dalton's legal issues makes it sound like he, like, did something real, real bad. <laughs> no. Do you Dalton had some legal issues? We should, we should yeah, emphasize the, the legal the issues. Film were, did, the film did. Yeah. Um, but imagine if, say, during the Daniel Craig era, they had a similar problem after Quantum of Solace and he never did the next two. Mm then Daniel Craig would be thought of as one of the shittest Bonds ever because A, he did two films and one of them was Quantum of Solace. You Quantum of Solace. Everyone conveniently forgets that Quantum of Solace exists. It's not that bad. 
it is so shit. It's so boring. And like Skyfall was such an improvement. Yeah. Not as good as Casino Royale, but really good. Yeah. Spectre, not so great, but still a lot of fun. Had some big moments in it. Um, and then if he does this final one and it's really good, then I think his legacy is is very much intact. Yeah. Whereas, well, um, yeah. But th- but this is it. The the upside of uh, of, of Lazenby and Dalton having those shorter eras. People might mm. at, at, at one point have seen them as kind of the, the failed bonds, but actually it means that they they never made a stinker. Lazenby, no. Lazenby yeah. made one Bond film and it's a great Bond film, and Dalton yeah. similarly made two really good Bond films. They never had. Um, you know, no. uh, uh, a view to a kill or a die another day, or yeah. I mean, all of Connery's are pretty good. Or oh, no, actually, a diamonds are forever, which yeah. I know is I know some people love, but I think is probably the worst. The worst. It's just the worst. <laughs> I mean, come on. I do. I I do wish that as much as I love Roger Moore, I do wish that he only did like three, and we got to see someone different in the seventies and early eighties do it. Mm. I think. It would just have been intriguing who they would have got, but then you know it could have been someone worse. I think I think Roger Moore he threatened to leave several times. Um, he, he threatened to leave after Moonraker, which hmm, who knows? And again, after I think pretty much every film after that, he he threatened to leave, and they considered replacing him at a certain point. I think for Octopussy, uh, they came very close to replacing him. They auditioned a bunch of actors in the eighties, including Sam Neill. Um, but the one, the one who came closest to replacing him in Octopussy was James Brolin. Or, uh, or or James or James Brolin, um, who you can see his audition online. And it's a pretty it's a pretty good audition. So it's interesting with Bond. Like like many of these franchises, there are lots of, sort of forks in the road where it could have gone off into all sorts of, of different directions. Can you tell that me and Morgan haven't been able to go to the pub for ages? Because normally we just we just talk shit like this all the time. And and this is probably really boring for a podcast, but fuck it. When else are we going to talk about the it? The whole point of this podcast originally was that we wanted to create a vibe of chatting yeah. to your nerdy mates in a pub, yeah. talking about films and TV and video games and shit. And now we can't go to the pub. That is literally <laughs> what this has become for us. And you all just have to listen to it. Um, <laughs> you like it or not. <laughs> Yeah. So that is it. Um, if you've enjoyed this conversation accompanied by use of audio clips and music that's definitely unlicensed, then head over to twogeeks2beers.com where you can find all 71 of our previous episodes, including episode 23, A Geek's Guide to James Bond, where we delve into some geeky trivia surrounding the franchise, and episode 62, all about James Bond video games. Uh, we're also on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Global Player. Uh, please give us a rating and review on whichever platform you're listening to us on, or else we'll get nasty. <laughs> Uh, and as ever, we're on all the social channels uh, at Two Geeks Cast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Different things on each of those. Um, please follow us for the latest. And if you uh, put patreon.com slash Two Geeks Cast, you'll also be able to support us in any way you're able to. And depending on what you give us, uh, you'll get different bonuses, including um, if you sign up whatsoever, you get a, a special episode that we recorded just on our favorite films of all time. You can only get that on there, so you kind of kind of have to really, you really, you know. <laughs> Don't miss that. Um, and if you if you pay a little bit more, then we'll record you a special episode on anything you wish, just for you. We'll name check you and all sorts. So it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> so it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. You can also find clips from episodes old and new on our YouTube channel. Just put two geeks, two beers into YouTube, and you'll find us. Why not send a friend a sampler of one of your favourite two geeks moments? And you can also email us podcast at twogeeks2beers.com. If you want a moratorium on any more bomb themed episodes, 
the only way to stop me is to write in and let us know. Uh, to play us out, I thought it was only right for us to end with the same song that closes out, Licence to Kill. Uh, A strange song, I've got to say. Um, it didn't feel... It, it sort of came out of nowhere at the end. Like, it's the bit where... So, Bond is kissing Pam in, in the in the pool. Yeah. And suddenly it just stops. Like, the, 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 the it stops and the credits appear to this sort of... It's a nice song, but it just, it just sort of, yeah, didn't really fit the the mood but I, I enjoyed it i enjoyed it well stick around for that uh <laughs> okay it's an okay song uh sung by patty labelle it's her top yeah. 10 hit if you asked me to uh a cover of which two hits from one film yeah a, a, a cover of this went on to become an even bigger hit for celine dion uh later ah. on. now be honest okay. listener i don't know what your expectations were for this episode when you started listening and they were probably quite low uh, but I don't think anyone thought I'd close on a Celine Dion pop trivia fact. Uh, so, until next time, watch the birdie, you bastards. Used to be that I believe in something. Used to be that I believe in love. It's been a long time since I've had that feeling. I can love someone. I can trust someone. My heart again, darling. I said I never let nobody in. Can I just say with um, Benicio del Toro? Um, oh, yeah, he, he's um, he, it's like forever, but particularly in this film, he's both incredibly ugly but beautifully good-looking at the same time. I don't know how he does it. Depending on what angle you're at, it's like Ugh, he's he, Ugh, he's weird looking, and then he turns around like, oh my god, he's the most gorgeous man on the planet. <laughs> and he also has one of the best lines in the entire film. I think <laughs> we gave her a nice honeymoon. But again, that line, that line on paper, it's just, could have been <laughs> really generic, like, gave her yeah. a nice honeymoon. Boring. Yeah. yeah. But, but <laughs> delivered by Del Toro in a way only Del Toro could do it. Honeymoon. He takes, <laughs> he takes very basic lines and makes them spectacular. Like, uh, what is that that series, Escape to Danamora? What's that? There's a, there's like a oh right I need to show you this there's a there's a, a mini series that Benicio del Toro was in fairly recently and the line he has to deliver <laughs> is something along the lines of don't tell anybody right that's all it says in the script <laughs> don't tell anybody and this this is how Benicio del Toro chooses to deliver that line don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Was that it's the like, last tape? Well, I think I think he did that once for a joke, and they just kept it in because they thought it was good. They thought it was funny. Uh, 